0: Going to ask you to open your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 11, and we're going to take on the very uh, difficult challenge of uh, covering this, the entirety of this chapter uh, this morning. Uh, as I have noted uh, on a number of occasions as we've come to Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, probably if you surveyed uh, the, uh, the laity of the church, uh, the pastors of the church, Uh, the various theologians and commentators uh, that uh, uh, support the work of the church, they would probably, uh, probably the majority would say that uh, if I were to select the three most difficult chapters to be found in the entirety of Scripture, uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11 would probably uh, be it. Uh, It certainly caused more than a a few uh, contentious uh, discussions over, over the years. Uh, But it is just as much a part of the Word of God as John 3.16 is. And so we should uh, not so much attempt to master it as it should master us. And so uh, we complete really a section of Romans uh, today. And that's a part of the larger preaching plan for uh, the coming uh, weeks. In that we not only close out the discussion of this unique relationship between uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and his gift of salvation. Uh, But we really close the entirety of the theological section, the doctrinal section of the book. And when we get into chapter 12, uh, we're going to be looking at how the gospel informs our living. Uh, Probably one of the great deficiencies of of my preaching is I'm not a very application-oriented preacher. I don't tell you, here are the 17 ways this passage applies to your life and sends you out uh, with that, as many preachers do, and that's, that's good. Uh, but uh, I'm more this is what it says and this is what it means, and you, know, you need to deal with it. Uh, but in the coming weeks, we will have a, a great number of applications of this is how we live under the influence of the gospel, under the authority of uh, the Word of God. And so before we even get to that, uh, we're going to do at least a three-week Easter series. And so that will begin uh, next week. And so today we're going to look at this entire chapter because I think it holds together. I think that uh, breaking it apart, as I do many times into uh, phrases or or verses or very small units, uh, we lose the the flow of the argument uh, that Paul wants us to, to grasp. So if you will. Uh, Again, Romans 11, we're going to begin in verse 1 and read through the entirety of the chapter. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it's written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask. Then as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, uh, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches." do not become proud, but fear, for God did not spare the natural branches, nor neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree how much more will these the natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree lest you be wise in your own sight i do not want you to be unaware of this mystery brothers a partial hardening has come upon israel until the fullness of the gentiles has come in and in this way all israel will be saved as it is written the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were one at one time disobedient to God but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so too... Have now, so, they, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor who has has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a word meant for us. May we receive it. May your spirit work to give us understanding. I pray for your spirit to work in me, to give me the ability to communicate uh, the greatness of your majesty and the greatness and the power of your word. Bless us this day. Change us as you would see fit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I enjoy one of the things that I will be doing this afternoon, in fact, as I do a lot of Sunday afternoons, is I'll be watching the professional golf tournament on television. Uh, now, as much as I love golf, uh, golf is good sleeping TV, okay? So it works out real well for an afternoon nap uh, as well. But one of the really cool things, most of the times, When a player tees off on a golf hole, they show a picture from behind him kind of looking down the fairway as to where he's going to hit it. It gives you a certain perspective. But one of the neat things that they will typically do, they used to do this with a helicopter. I bet they're doing it with the little drones now or what do you call them, the people have. They're flying around with the joysticks and all that. But they will fly over the fairway all the way from the tee to the green and it kind of shows you what the golfer is seeing. and Of course, even better than that sometimes, I love to see the, the whole golf course, uh, a course like Pebble Beach out in California. They'll show a shot from the blimp, the Goodyear blimp, and you can see that how the, the sea comes up right up to the edge of the golf course. and It's really gorgeous to see those things and get this very expansive and very broad uh, perspective. So you can kind of appreciate what it is the golfers are experiencing out there. That's somewhat what I've tried to do here. It's not to zero in with the microscope, but see the great expanse of God's unfolding plan for salvation. Put very, very simply, God's plan for individuals is a part of His larger plan as it pertains to both the Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles. And that the Jews in their rejection of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and being hardened in that position is a part of God's plan through which the gospel is going to go to the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world, and the church for most of the course of church history has been made up primarily of Gentiles. But that's not the end of the plan. That God's plan is that these ethnic Jews look at the great privilege of God being granted to the Gentiles through the gospel of Jesus Christ and they shall be provoked to a jealousy that brings them to a place that they trust in Jesus. And so that's kind of the the biggest of the pictures. And God is doing this because he is a faithful God. Remember, Romans 9, 10, and 11 flows out of this question. Paul has said that God is faithful, that no matter the adversity that the believer goes through, that God is using it for their good. And that ultimately, none of the sorrows and none of the sufferings that are a part of living in this fallen world will ever separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That closes Romans 8. And so Paul raises the perceived potential question, but what about the Jews? They have rejected Jesus. And Paul explains it's not because God or His Word has failed, that that God has always had a believing remnant within the Jewish nation, within the ethnic Jews, and that God has chosen them and God has saved them. How did he save them? Because they understood that salvation could not be accomplished by obedience to the law, by pursuing it by works. They came to understand that Jesus Christ was indeed not the stone of stumbling, Not the rock of offense, but he was the the Savior of the world. And so hearing the word of the Christ, the word of the gospel, they came to believe. And so they believed and they are saved and now they are included in the people of God. And Paul says as he closes Romans 10, that this is in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, that the gospel is going to the to the ends of the earth, and that God is going to provoke uh, Israel to a, a, a jealousy by these Gentiles that that He really had had not directed the Old Covenant toward, but that now they are seeking God through the gospel, through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so that brings us to our text today. And y'all are already looking at me like. Wow. Okay. Now, bear with me. All right. Now, let's look at this business. Paul speaks of God's remnant. He asks questions. Much of his methodology is rooted around, you know, when I ask questions, and I love to ask questions. That's why I like doing Wednesday night Bible study and Sunday school and all of these small types of groups. I love to ask questions. So I can tell you that your answers are wrong. Okay. Who who said that? Debbie. I try to affirm you in all that you do. But I I love to ask and answer questions. That that allows me to kind of evaluate where, where you are and where we need to go. Well, Paul asks a question here. He asks the question, has God rejected his people? And he answers very strongly, no, no way. God has never forsaken his people. He, said, he gives the personal example of the personal illustration. I'm a Jew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And that was very much a point of pride because what was left over after the northern kingdom fell, and if you, if you came on Wednesday night, you'd know what I'm talking about, okay? But the, the northern kingdom falls, what year, Debbie? 722, all right. Northern Kingdom falls. Ten ten tribes disappear. Two tribes left. Southern Kingdom, Judah. Judah and Benjamin. So Paul has a point of pride. They're of a surviving tribe faithful to the Davidic king. And so he says, yes, indeed. God has not forsaken his people because I'm a believer. God has saved me by his grace. And then he gives a historical illustration. And he says, even reaching back into the pages of the Old Testament in the days of Elijah, in, in the time of, of King Ahab and, and Queen Jezebel, that the Elijah does this great work, this great confrontation with uh, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And, and after that, after that great victory, he goes off in despair and pouts and says, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that loves God in all of Israel. And God says to him, No, sir, I have preserved a chosen remnant of 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. That I've always had my hand and my eye on these people, and I have preserved them. There in verse 5, he says, So just as there was a people in the day of Elijah, Right now, as Paul is writing this, two thousand years ago, there is a remnant that have been chosen by God's grace. They have been chosen by God. They have been saved by God. They have been preserved by God. And since it is by grace, it can no longer. It's no longer on the basis of word. Now he is not saying there that there was a time in which there could be salvation accomplished by works. Now, you all understand that from, from Adam forward, no one could be saved by their works. That everyone that's ever been saved has been saved by God's grace through faith, okay? What he's saying is that they can no longer think in this fashion. That they no longer can think of their salvation as being accomplished by their works that they're not confused on that subject if you're sitting here today and if i said if you're a believer today raise your hand and show me that you're a believer then one thing that i can assume is that you understand that your salvation was given to you by god through faith as a gift that you don't deserve it and you did not earn it okay so that's a fundamental understanding so Those who are saved understand that it is all of God's grace and it's not of any works that we have done or should do or will do or anything like that. And again, Paul goes on and kind of expands that and says, well, it wouldn't be grace. If our works were were considered in terms of the giving of salvation, it really would not be grace. And so in verse 7, he kind of continues to probe. He says, well, what then? Israel failed to uh, obtain what it was seeking. Well, why did they not not gain it? Well, back in chapter 9, verse 30, he says, the reason they didn't obtain it, they were trying to earn salvation by works. They stumbled over the gospel. And so, as long as you think, that you're working towards gaining salvation by works, you will never be saved by grace. As long as you think by your morality or your spirituality or your religiosity or any of those things, that you think that you're earning your way toward heaven, you will remain lost. Okay, And so Israel thought because they practiced circumcision, They were descendants of Abraham, that they offered sacrifices. They believed that they were doing that which would gain for them salvation, which became, in reality, ultimately an obstacle to their salvation. And so, these Jews never attained salvation. But he goes on to say what? The elect obtained it. Those God chose to work in, by His grace, demonstrate his power, demonstrate his mercy in, to draw them to Christ, to draw them to salvation, to open their eyes, those people gained salvation. You know, in every orthodox theological system, across every theological perspective from the extremes of free will to the, uh, the extremes of, of God's sovereignty and, and Calvinism and all this type of stuff, there is no one, except in the most radically fringe, heretical realms of of, of 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 you know this free agency kind of stuff or free will kind of stuff. Everyone believes that a man left to himself will always, 100 percent of the time, reject God. Man in his natural state, apart from the inclining work of the Holy Spirit, will always reject God. I thought of this this week as I was working through this. About a year ago, one of my older cousins uh, passed away. Uh, Joey, it was the dad of the guys in the article about the welding shop. And um, they, their dad, uh, their these cousins are about my age, and their dad was a good bit older, and he was kind of missing that he hadn't been he usually came around the shop several days a week and they said yeah I haven't seen dad in two or three days we better go over and check on him well they go over and they knock on his door and ring the doorbell and call his cell phone no answer no answer and they break down the door and go in and he's in his bed dead and had been dead for several days spiritually We're just like my cousin. That they could have knocked on the door till Jesus comes. They could have called his cell phone until Jesus comes. They could have begged and pleaded, Dad, get up and come to the door. But you know why he couldn't? He was dead. He was dead. That's the state of every individual apart from the grace of God. That, yes, the gospel is sent out. The gospel is proclaimed. But because we're dead, we don't answer the door. For my cousin Bobby to answer that door, God would have had to work and raise his body to come to the door. God must raise you spiritually to respond to the truth of the gospel. And he does it according to a plan that he's had in his heart and in his mind forever. And as Paul has argued very very clearly if you take the whole thing, that in no way form or fashion reduces the responsibility of any individual to hear and believe the gospel. They're both absolutely true. They they they, they lie down right beside each other in the course of scripture and we should emphasize them both. If you're here today, hear me. If you're here today, and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you only have yourself to blame. You only have yourself to blame. And should you call out to the Savior, and should you trust Him as your Lord and Savior, He will save you. And so, all right. So, Paul asked this follow-up question, and this this is more difficult than anything. Speaking of unbelieving Israel, Paul attributes, and he's quoting Isaiah here in an Old Testament book, God gave to these people that were hardened a spirit of stupor and and that that ears that would not hear. God, notice here, again, verse 7, the rest were hardened. That's a scary subject. There's a scary subject. There are all kind of ways and places that people get hardened to the gospel. Uh, yes, indeed, there were those that maybe just coming in from a big night out uh, last night and living a, a life of great license, uh, of immorality or substance abuse or whatever. They may be hardened. But I guarantee you today, here in the great state of Alabama and all across our United States and all throughout the world, there are plenty of people that are sitting in churches today. That have been hardened they've heard the gospel and 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 every time they hear it and they refuse their heart gets harder and harder and harder and so very difficult to talk about this thing and theologically we call it the doctrine of reprobation but it is a truth it is a truth that should you reject Jesus Christ you could wind up in the category of being hardened, of having a spirit of stupor. Historically, it happened to the majority of those who were ethnically Jews. And so, uh, uh, chapter uh, verse 9, again, restates the same concept, uh, kind of in a way of a curse, that they're going to remain in their unbelief. And so, in verse 11, Paul moves from God's remnant, God's always had a remnant, God's always been saving. He's been saving Jews. But now he's going to explain what is the larger plan here that's going on? What's God working out in the course of history? So he asked another question in verse 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And I think what Paul is saying there did they stumble? in order that they might utterly, finally, and completely fall. I think it's what he's getting at. And he says, by no means, no way. And so, what does he say? That because of their rejection of Jesus, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. They reject Jesus, and the gospel is going to the Gentiles. And notice there, again, at the end of verse 11, so that the Jews will become jealous. Now, those of us that are parents and have more than one child, uh, typically those two children or three children or four children, whatever you've got, they tend to be very different. They, they just different, different things, different, different, different attitudes and so forth and so on. But one thing sometimes that parents do is that the child that lives in rebellion is disciplined And they're allowed to see the privilege granted to the obedient. And part of that is so that they can see the reward for obedience to what? Improve their behavior. Right? That's kind of analogous here. That God wants the Jews to see the blessings that originally were granted to them in the older covenant foreshadowing the gospel have now been taken by the Gentiles, and God desires that they see this and say, wait a minute, they've got our blessings, and they got them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. And again, what is he talking about? He's talking about really human responsibility, that the Jews hear, respond, believe the gospel, okay? And so in verse 13, Paul goes into really a long illustration uh, I'm not a, I'm not a gardener. I'm I'm not a arborist or whatever. Not an arsonist, an arborist. Uh, 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 I've, people accuse me of lighting fires and running off to watch them burn, but I, I I don't I don't do that. But evidently, as as olive trees got older, you could basically transplant limbs from younger, healthier olive trees, and they would grow. And so, what he's saying is the. Olive tree represents Israel. And these new branches, even though they're wild, the Gentiles, are being grafted in to this true Israel. And they're going to to bear fruit. And one day, those natural branches that have been broken off by their unbelief are going to be grafted back in to that tree as they come to believe. And so... uh, so they, they they are being cut off now by their unbelief. There's a few of them that are believing that are, are part of the tree. But one day, the believing Jews are going to be grafted back in to this tree. And so he goes on in verse 25. Let's look here now. And he explains it. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. In other words, we didn't understand this. We thought that, God was all about the Jews and really didn't have an idea of how the church was going to be primarily a Gentile enterprise for hundreds and hundreds of, of years. Uh, and so, uh, but, but what's happened is a partial harding, hardening has come upon Israel. Well, what do you say? I've always had a remnant. But the rest were hardened in their unbelief. And they persisted in, the, in their unbelief. And, and that's going to continue until what? Until the, all the Gentiles that I'm going to save have been saved. Verse 25. And then this astounding verse. And again, one of those difficult verses. And I was looking at a commentary this week, and and he listed six interpretations of verse 26. Okay? I'm going to tell you the right one. Okay? In verse 26, he says, And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, I don't think he means that every ethnic descendant of Abraham is going to be saved. I don't think he means every single solitary one of them. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that uh, he's saying sometimes New Testament kind of categorizes the church as a new Israel. I don't think he's just saying that everybody's going to be saved who's going to be saved. I don't, I don't think he's saying that. I think what we, if, you, if we live until the return of Christ that we will see God spark a spiritual awakening among ethnic Jews that will be unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And they will be millions of the physical descendants of Abraham that hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God removes the blinders, he softens their hearts, and they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're saved. And they, the natural olive branches, are grafted back in to the tree. Yeah. And so that is God's overarching plan. Again, he began his plan of work in the world through the descendants of Abraham, establishing an old covenant in a theocratic kingdom. And then, when that had accomplished its purpose, he sends his son into the world, who is the fulfillment of all of the promises made to Israel, and he dies on the cross for our salvation. And that gospel and that Savior largely was rejected by those old covenant participants, by, that, by the Jews, other than this remnant, that would include people like Paul or Peter, whoever else was saved. But there's always been a believing remnant. But the rest were hardened, and the gospel went into the broader world. That gen- if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay, I think everybody here is a Gentile. I don't know anyone that's of Jewish descent. So we have been the pri- we have been privileged to hear the gospel and to receive it. And part of that was because of the rejection of the Jews. They rejected Jesus. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. And we've been saved by that gospel. Okay? And Paul goes on to explain that right now, verse 28, these Jews are enemies of the gospel. But God still has a plan. He made a promise to the forefathers. He said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing through uh, to all the nations. And that ultimately will be fulfilled because God doesn't change his mind. God's promises are irrevocable. God is the faithful God. He's the one that promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's never left or forsaken anyone at any time. Verse 31 sums it up. So they too have now been have now been disobedient in order that By the mercy shown to you, they may now also receive mercy. That they may see that you're receiving God's mercy and become jealous of that mercy and be saved. It's kind of the overarching plan. And so let's say a word about this mercy of God. Look at verse 32. Nothing in the Bible, hear me. Nothing in the Bible will ever make sense If you don't understand, verse 32. Nothing about the Bible ever makes sense. That if you're a human being and you say, I want God's justice, you're simply asking for to be judged to hell. If you're asking that you be rewarded according to your works, you're asking for hell. All men by virtue of our descendants in relationship to Father Adam have been consigned to disobedience. So that all that God ever saves are not saved on the basis of their works or their innate righteousness. They're saved through the mercy of God. The mercy that gives favor and blessing and salvation to those who deserve His judgment. Okay? And so... As long as you think everybody get, should get a fair shake, everybody should you know deserves this. And everybody, no, every human being deserves hell. Every human being deserves hell. All that are saved are saved by the mercy of God. Okay, and so the universal set of all humanity for all of the ages is that God has considered them as sinners in Adam. That's disgusting. Genesis three. Romans five. We don't have time to unpack it. We we've talked about that before, but all men are under the judgment of God. That's the universal uh, the universal condition, and so again there can so there can be this what I call reciprocal mercy that God will save sinning Gentiles, and ultimately He will save sinning Jews by the very same gospel. Well, one let's look at a final. Word boy, we've moved through this very very quickly. I'm I'm kind of impressed. Y'all y'all listened fast today. We've looked at God's remnant. We've talked about God's mystery, this this Jew Gentile plan. We've talked about God's mercy, that that salvation is is totally, totally, the work of God's sovereign mercy. And that's to God's marvel. Um, Paul ends this. He's gone to depths that that our minds can't fully comprehend. And he says it. Oh, the depth, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You're not God. I'm not God. That ultimately and finally and exhaustively, He cannot be completely and fully understood. He can be correctly understood. His word can be correctly understood. But we don't know him exhaustively. We don't know everything about God. That God has a capacity to do things that that seem to us to be completely contradictory. But to God they're not. That, That God can claim absolute sovereignty over all things. And at the same time hold men Absolutely 100% responsible for everything they do. I was thinking of this. I'll go back to the the golf course again. It's getting kind of spring, Augusta National, you know, kind of my mind wanders toward golf. When I hit a golf ball into the woods, which happens once or twice a year, and I say very nice things, praise the Lord for his sovereignty, you know, that golf ball Went exactly to the place that God had ordained from the foundation of the earth that golf ball would be, on that particular day, at that particular time. And yet it went there because I hit it. And if you went, got, you could get, you can get all kind of scientific instruments and engineers, and you can get all kind of, you can get these kinesiologists and and anatomical guys, and they can tell you. You know, why when I rolled my wrist a certain way, it caused the club face to do a certain thing and the shaft of the club to do a certain And I mean, you very scientifically calculate why when I hit that ball, it went to the place it went there. And that's a reason it went there. Which is true. Is it Did it go into the woods because God sovereignly ordained it? Or did it go there because I hit it? Both, right? They're both absolutely and equally true. They're both absolutely and equally true. And God will have to sort out those details for us uh, in eternity. If I were a better golfer, guess what? More balls would go into the fairway as God ordained them to be. Stay out of the creeks, all kinds of stuff, and I would be less frustrated. Throw fewer clubs. Not I don't throw clubs. I have pitched a few, but not not. Yeah. But God's marvel. We will never know God fully in this life because of our finitude. But we can know Him truly. I want you to hear me on that distinction. What the Bible teaches you about God, you can trust and you can believe it with your whole heart. But at the same time, God is far bigger than even His Word reveals to us. And so, he, Paul really ends with a, a doxology. All... Theology and doctrine should produce praise because we should be amazed at the greatness of our God. Okay? Any theology that doesn't produce doxology is either a problem with the theology or there's a problem with you. If you cannot praise God for His greatness, need to think about it because he indeed is a great God and so quoting Isaiah again Paul quotes the question well who has not known the mind of the Lord that has been his counselor God let me tell you how you need to run the universe I got some really good thoughts I mean folks y'all know me I think about this often would Dale have been sick for 12 years And being an invalid for the last three. If I were God. But God did not ask my advice on the matter. He knows how to run his world. He knows how to run his world. He knows how to run all of creation. It's a fallen creation to be sure. And I don't understand it all. I really don't but I have to trust him, I have to trust him, and so he asked the question, has anybody here been around long enough, and acquired and accumulated enough knowledge, that you should advise God on how he should run his world, you'll see me in my office when we finish, I'll offer you some counseling if you do, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repraved. Who of us can do something by which we can obligate God to give to us something? If God gives to you what you've earned, you're in hell. If God gives to you what you have earned, you're in hell. What we desire is mercy. And so all we can do is stand back and go, For, for from him And through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. I think that will be one of the anthems that we proclaim in heaven forever and ever and ever. Amen. God's sovereignty is unchallenged. God's wisdom is unsearchable. God's goodness is unfolding. God's faithfulness is unending. God's uniqueness is unfathomable. Let him Receive the praise from his people that he so richly deserves. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your truth. It is a difficult truth uh, in some ways beyond our mastery. But Lord, even a truth that we don't fully understand can master us. And that's what we desire, that we would find ourselves under the authority of the word of God. I pray that you give us insight and give us understanding. Lord, I pray that your gospel would resonate in the hearts of your people. I pray that if there's one here that has never laid claim to the benefits of the cross of Christ, Lord, they would come to a place, and you'd cause them, that the work of your Spirit would cause them to believe your truth. And, Lord, that they would be saved. And, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.